During the Lenten season this year, we were exploring the different covenants or promises that exist between God and our world. And last week, we looked at the covenant that existed between God and creation. When you look closely at nature, you see a harmony, a natural balance. And when this natural balance is broken, we become aware that there's a natural, recreative, restorative dynamic right built right into God's creation. Wounds naturally heal, whether it be a wounded animal or a wounded plant. Polluted waters like Lake Erie naturally purify over time and become drinkable again. Forest fires create space for seedlings to sprout a new forest to grow up to replace the old forest that was there, like we see in this picture. There's a balance within nature, and there's a recreation dynamic within God's creation, and these are all signs of a covenant that God has created between God and this world. This past week, with all the flooding on the Grand River due to unseasonal high temperatures and rain, we're reminded how fragile this covenant is, how easily it can be broken. I have a blanket here that I want to hang over this chair over here as a reminder of this covenant of God that's all-encompassing, encompasses all of creation. Today we're looking at another covenant, one which Hannah was playing with with the children, one which is very personal between God and humanity. And this covenant goes on and on and on from generation to generation. And this covenant is one between God and humanity which is based upon two things. It's based upon a God who always blesses and it's based upon faith. Faith on our, on our end. Now this term faith is a really hard term to talk about. Because this faith cannot be reduced to a set of beliefs or religious doctrines or a certain theology or religious law or a set of ethics. Those can be expressions of this faith, but faith cannot be reduced to those things. In fact, reducing faith or to just believing a certain way or doing certain things can actually get in the way of this type of faith we're talking about today can get in the way of entering into this covenant between God and us. So what is this faith that allows us to enter into this covenant with God? Well, let's turn to the story of Abram and Sarai in our Bible, for this is often seen where this covenant first became real, first took form. God instructs Abram and Sarai to leave their homeland and family, and go to the land that that God would show them. And I will make you a great nation, God says to them, and I will bless you, and I will make your name respected, and you will be a blessing. All the families of the world will be blessed by you. A covenant, a blessing. God's going to bless this couple and their descendants, and they will bless the world. But for Abram and Sarai to realize this blessing, they must do something. 
they have to take a step of faith. They have to leave home, a place they know well, and head toward an unknown promised land, a land that God would show them. To take this step of faith means leaving home, leaving where they were, their home. This may be a home they treasure, or we treasure and value, sometimes a home that we don't like because we've experienced a lot of pain and tragedy there. But oftentimes our sense of home and their sense of home was a mixture. Good times, bad times. But it was a home they knew, they were familiar with. But to leave this place of home is really scary. It takes an act of faith, actually, to let go and to trust that God will lead you from this place of home and that God will minister to you along this journey to, as you're led to this new place, an unknown promised land, whatever that is. Clearly, there's more to Abraham and Sarah's story than just those three verses around the sense of call or the sense of invitation to leave home. No one will leave the security of home and the comfort of home, of their extended family homeland, unless, and follow this inner prompting unless they had experiences of this prompting before, the sense of God's presence before. God cannot, could not have been totally unknown to Abram and Sarah. Otherwise, they would never have left home to follow the strange, unknown voice, mysterious. This abrupt change in Abram and Sarah's life reminds me of a decision Valerie and I made many years ago when we left London and two good-paying jobs and many good friends. We were in our late 20s, and we went on this unknown journey. I was being called into pastoral ministry in the church. Valerie was less certain about this sense of call than I was. We, had, she had, we just had a baby, Derek. She was working at the University Hospital. Are you sure, Gord? But I had this sense of call from God that grew out of many experiences of grace and guidance that I connected to God. And if these sacred experiences had not happened to me ahead of time, and if they had not happened along the journey, and many of them, many of them did happen along the journey over those three years, we would never have stayed on the journey. We would have gone back to London, back to our jobs, back to home. Instead, we followed a path from London to Elmira, where I got training and education, and then we went down to Elkhart, Indiana, to get to, get, to finish off a Master's of Divinity, and then we were, took us to Markham Stowell, to my first church. And along the way, we had many moments of grace that told us that we were on the right path. Moments of letting go and just, God, how, how's this going to happen? And it happened. It was, it was because of these profound moments that Abram and Sarah also left home in the story, I believe. They were, they were willing to risk leaving that home and head to an unknown foreign land, a promised land, one could say, for them. And based upon their experiences of life and the sacred, Abram and Sarah had the faith to leave home and trust that God would be with them on this journey, that God would provide for them exactly what they needed when they needed it, that God would fulfill the blessing part of the covenant. You will be a great nation. All the families of the world, of the world will be blessed by you. And we're told for the next 25 years that we're on this unknown journey. Life was challenging, complicated in this foreign land. 
And yet along the way, as you, as you read the story in Genesis, you see aspects of God blessing them, this working out, that working out. And yet, no descendants, no children. Clearly, this is not working out the way we thought it would. And so their faith, Abram and Sarai's faith in God was shaken, so much so the two of them schemed and said, okay, Curly, it looks like, Abram, that I'm not going to have any children, so maybe God meant it to happen this way. And so they developed a scheme, this plan. And there's Abram and Sarai and Hagar, the servant girl, the slave girl. And so she became a mother of a child for them, for Abram. And she gave birth to Ishmael. And if if you read in Genesis, you realize their marriage was was a mess. There was lots of jealousy going on in this marriage. There was lots of conflict, but now their household had Abram and Sarai, but also Hagar and Ishmael, reminders of how God hadn't given Sarah her child. It was a very difficult home, as we read in the Bible. But in the end, we read also that God would bless Hagar and bless Ishmael. In fact, it's really interesting. The blessing that God gives Ishmael and Hagar is identical, almost identical to um, Abram and Sarah. That he would bless them and they would have many descendants. And if many of you know, I expect many of you know that Ishmael and Hagar actually is the connection for the Muslim people to the faith parents of Abram and Sarah. That's their link into that covenant we're talking about this morning. But this is what not, was not what God had attended originally with Abram and Sarai. But this is what happened. He had a different plan for, for them as a couple. And the Lord appeared to Abram and Sarah again. And this time, God was more specific. I will make a covenant between us, and I will give you many, many descendants. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but it will be Abraham, which means father of nations. And I will set up a covenant with you and your descendants after you and every generation as an enduring covenant, one that will go on and on and on. And I will be your God, and I will be your descendants, gods after you, but you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants in every generation. And then God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, she will no longer be called Sarai, but her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and even give a son from her. And I will bless her so she will become nations and kings of people will come from her. And soon after the story, or within their life, soon after this episode, this, this experience, we read that Sarah amazingly became pregnant in her old age, and she gave birth to Isaac, who would become the faith lineage for the Jewish people. From one generation to the next, within the Jewish tradition, this covenant has been available between God and them. At least that's how they understood it back then. And this is the backdrop to our text today. That, you're about, that we're about to read together. That part of Apostle Paul's letter when he writes to the Roman church. And Paul's talking about this covenant of blessing between Abraham and Sarai, Sarah and God's people and to all their descendants. 
However, God wants, however, Paul realizes this covenant has to shift a bit in how we understand it. For how we're understanding the Jewish community does not, it's not very inclusive of the Gentile people. And so as we read it together, I want you to notice how Apostle Paul writes about this faith within this covenant and how he redefines what it means to be a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah. So let's read it together. The promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. If they inherit it because of the law, then faith has no effect and the promise has been canceled. The law brings about wrath, but where there isn't any law, there isn't any violation of the law. That's why the inheritance comes through faith, so that it will be on the basis of God's grace. And that way, the promise is secure for all of God's descendants, not just for those who are related by law, but those who are related by the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have appointed you to be the father of many nations. So Abram is our, is our father, eyes of God, in whom he had faith, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. When it was beyond hope, he had faith and the hope that he would become the father of many nations in keeping with the promise God spoke to him. That's how many descendants you will have. Without losing faith, Abram, who was, who was nearly 100 years old, took into account his own body, which was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb, which was dead. He didn't hesitate with a lack of faith in God's promise, but he grew strong in faith and gave God, glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was about to do what he had promised. And therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. But the scripture that says it was a credit to him wasn't written only for Abraham's sake. It was also, also for our sake. Because it is going to be credited to us too. It will be credited to those of us who have faith in the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over because of our mistakes and he was raised to meet the requirements of righteousness for all. It's very evident from this text that Apostle Paul does not see faith in terms of following the, re the religious law. If following the law was all that was necessary to experience the covenant of blessing, then faith had no, no reason to exist. Just do what it says. Just do it, and you're in. The, you're in, you're in. You don't need faith to do that. And furthermore, Paul does not see faith in terms of genealogy, being part of the right family tree that gets passed down through the family tree or through the faith of this family tree. If that was the case, the Gentile Christians that Paul was ministering to had no hope of ever experiencing this covenant of blessing from God. No, Paul argues... There's another way of inheriting this covenant of blessing from God by practicing the same faith 
that Abram and Sarah did when they received and entered into this covenant with God. Practicing the same faith. We become descendants of Abram and Sarah not by blood, not by being of the, even of the same religion, I don't think, but by practicing the same faith as they did. A faith that allowed them to leave home and to be led by God to an unknown promised land. And as we live out that faith over and over again, we experience over and over again the blessings of the covenant attached to that faith. As parents, as a church, passing on this type of faith onto the next generation is really challenging, I think. Helping our children enter into this covenant, a blessing, is not easy. Well, at one level, it is easy, one could say, because, you know, we can teach our children about the Bible. We can teach them Christian doctrine and theology. We can teach them about spiritual practices and Christian ethics. But within our culture today, that's really hard to do. Teaching these aspects of our Mennonite Christian faith for many people have stopped coming to church for that type of teaching to happen. The spiritual practice of attending church is not seen as something that's valued in our culture anymore. By many people in our culture anymore. And furthermore, as many parents can at- Christian parents can attest, and I think we even mourn about sometimes, including myself, there's no guarantee that even though our children grew up in the church, that they will embrace this covenant for themselves. Even, even some who have made baptismal commitments struggle, I think, to enter into this covenant on a regular basis, entering in, living out the sense of faith in this way. So it begs the question, why is that? Why is it hard for people, why is it hard to pass on the faith to the next generation? Why is it hard for our kids to enter this covenant, to experience it for themselves? Why is it hard in our time? Well, let me suggest a couple short answers. One relates to our Western culture. The culture we live in is one that stresses the importance of managing our life so well that we don't experience times of vulnerability, don't experience times of taking risks, times of unknownness, times of feeling out of control, times when we have to, quote, leave home. And this issue is not just an issue of our culture. This issue actually is a, is a reflection of a fallen part of our personality, I think. There's a part of our personality, our human personality, that does not like vulnerability, does not like risk, does not like unknownness, does not like control, letting, letting go of control, that resists change, that doesn't like leaving home. Want to keep things the way they are, where it's safe, secure, I know the rules, I know what to believe. But guess what? The experience and act of faith can only arise when we're in this place of vulnerability. Can only arise when we're in this place of risking, of not knowing, of not being fully in control. At times when we're actually leaving home, we're not certain what the next step is. That's when faith enters into our experience and we act from a place of faith. And guess what happens when we do so? We discover there's something on the other side. We discover the blessing of the covenant. God's covenant with us, that God is there for us. That God will minister to us in that place. 
So that's one aspect. But there's another thing I want you to consider this morning too. We often forget that Abram and Sarah had to leave their home. And that meant for them to follow the leading of God to an unknown land and leaving their family and the faith of their family behind. For their parents had a different faith than they did. They were polytheistic believers. So what does it mean for us to allow our young adult children to leave home in today's world? In fact, at any time in history, does it not mean that, does it mean that they will take everything that we've taught them and move to a new place and recreate a church just like Mannheim? Does it mean that? I don't think so. Or does it mean that they take everything we've taught them and then they get to a stage in life and they throw it all up in the air and they discern, okay, what of what my parents and church have taught me is really true for me? And they pray about it with God's help and they discover a faith that nurtures and brings them to life for them and their culture and their generation. It'll echo of ours, but it probably won't be quite the same as ours. If all what I'm saying is true, how do we help our children and the next generation then embrace this covenant, a blessing that God wants everyone to experience from generation to generation to generation? Let me share briefly three ideas. One is that we tell them our faith story. Tell them, our kids and those around us, the ways that we've experienced God through taking steps of faith in our life. It may be steps of faith in the past, but also steps of faith now in our everyday life, where our faith hits the road, actually, where we actually experience God's covenant, God's blessing today, tomorrow, times when we actually had to risk or found ourselves in a place of not knowing or found ourselves we had to, gee, I'm not sure what to do here. That's when we actually live out our faith in those places. We need to tell the stories of how we live out our faith in those places to our children, to those around us, because that's where our faith actually becomes alive. That's when we know it's true. There's a truth to the covenant now, because they, we, we experience it, and they see us talking about it. Uh, we experience God in this way, and wow, God came through here, and that came together there. And I, We live out our faith, and we share the story. But, so that's one. Second is, is I, we need to help we need to help our children, those around us, see how God is already active in their life. God's already active in each of our children's lives or the fr- our friends' lives. And we, we often need to help them see that. Help them notice the places where they experience grace, where they experience love and compassion, where they find themselves in a place of not knowing and I don't know what to do here. He says, well, I know from my experience that when I'm in a place of not knowing, I pray, I listen, I trust that somehow God will, will come together for me. And as he does, things come together. You've just experienced the grace of God. We need to help people name their story, tell their story. They're starting to emerge in their lives. The story that echoes similar to our story. And finally, when we start helping people see how God's active in their lives, they will want to enter into our covenant, a covenant with God. They'll want more of this. They'll want to 
make it a deeper commitment to discover more about this God of a blessing who we experience in the midst of those times of unknownness, in the midst of when we're living out our faith. That's how we pass on the covenant from generation to generation. By sharing with the people around us and our children the ways we experience faith today. And in doing so, we help them discover the God of the covenant now. And discover how God's already blessing them and helping them to experience it and even enter more fully into that journey of leaving home and trusting God along the way to this unknown promised land. For them and for each one of us as parents, it's part of our journey too. Trusting God will be with our children in the midst of this unknown time. Amen.